Hey, queens and kings. This is Sharana Reeves, and you are listening to These Three Things podcast. The episode today is about black women and the imposter syndrome. But before we get into the episode, I need to make a quick correction. In the introduction episode of season two, I mentioned a woman by the name of Deb Emmy that was very pivotal in helping me get my camera figured out for travel and videoing season two of these three things, and also was a ram in the bush by sending me a much-needed compliment at a time where I was second-guessing starting season two. Her actual name is Deb Ernie, E-R-N-E-Y, and in full disclosure, I didn't have my readers on when I was trying to read the message and mispronounced her last name. She did listen to the introduction episode and sent me a lovely note on YouTube I realized it after I had received her second note that I'd mispronounced her name. So I wanted to make that correction and encourage all of you who struggle figuring out your tech equipment, go follow Deb Ernie, E-R-N-E-Y, on YouTube. She simplifies everything. She's very patient in her explanation and very easy to listen to. So thank you again, Deb Ernie. And I do appreciate your support of these three things. And now, Black Women and the imposter syndrome with Dr. Patricia, the Queen Group Atlanta, LaQuinta, Dr. Leslie, and Malika. Enjoy. For those of you who are new to These Three Things podcast and you haven't met Dr. Patricia and the Queen Group Atlanta, allow me to reintroduce them. Dr. Patricia Thompson is an award-winning corporate psychologist, executive coach, and speaker who has been featured in the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Fast Company, Inc., and many other sites. During her career, she has worked with a range of clients from students to couples to Fortune 500 CEOs. Dr. Patricia brings her extensive experience as a psychologist from relationships to corporate America. Dr. Patricia, welcome to These Three Things. Hey, thank you for having me. LaQuinta Jacobs is a native of Los Angeles, California, and currently resides in Atlanta, Professionally, she has grown her career in positions of progressive responsibilities in human resources with more than 20 years of experience. LaQuinta brings her expertise in HR and advancing in corporate America. LaQuinta, welcome to These Three Things. Good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for having me. Dr. Leslie Black. Her 17-year tenure within the pharmaceutical industry is preceded by her role as the head athletic trainer at a historically black college at the age of 21. Dr. Leslie brings her diverse experiences in life, healthcare, and corporate America. Dr. Leslie, welcome to These Three Things. Hi, thanks for having me. And last but not least, Malika Hakeem is an external relations and government affairs leader 
in addition to being an entrepreneur, socialite, connector, networker, and political daughter. Malika brings her expertise in politics and entrepreneurship. Malika, welcome to these three things. Thanks, Sharana. So let's get this episode started because today we are here to talk about the imposter syndrome and what it all is. And so, Dr. Patricia, can you share with us? Because I know you've done some study and are very knowledgeable on the imposter syndrome. What is it exactly? And why are we just now starting to hear about it more than we've ever heard before? Yeah, so uh, the imposter syndrome is a term that was created by two psychologists actually here in Atlanta, um, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes. And they came up with the term in the 70s, actually. And the imposter syndrome is basically feeling inadequate, uh, feeling self-doubt, feeling like a fraud, even though you've achieved success. And so basically, someone who feels like an imposter um, feels like a fake, regardless of however much external proof there is that they're competent and that they're good at what they're doing. And so basically, like when someone with the imposter syndrome accomplishes something, they don't think of it as based on their own internal skills. Instead, they think that it was based on something external, like getting lucky or having good timing or maybe working really hard, but kind of feeling like they aren't able to keep up that level of work across time. Um, And so what they find is that about 25 to 30 percent of high achievers can suffer from the imposter syndrome. But like within life, um, people report 70 percent of people actually report having felt like an imposter at some point during their lives. Well, what causes the imposter syndrome and why does it affect some people differently than it does others? Yeah, so um, a lot of it actually can start in childhood, but they found and it's interesting because you might expect that it starts from having really high expectations for yourself or your parents having really high expectations for you or maybe not giving you any praise and making you feel like you have to achieve at a really, really high standard to be considered okay or to get reinforcement. And so that's actually one thing that can cause it. But interestingly, on the flip side, if they're, if a child feels like they got a lot of undeserved praise, mm-hmm. so their parents praise them for everything, then that can actually also cause it because there's a disconnect between the praise that you're getting and like feeling like you actually deserve that praise. And so sometimes a child can feel that, well, they're saying I'm doing really great, but I know that I'm not. And so that can create that too. Mm. Um, And I would say that one other thing is just if you have a family label. So, you know, sometimes in families you can have like the sensitive one, the outgoing one, the smart one, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it can create pressure that if you feel like you're not living up to that label, again, it can make you feel like a bit of a fake if you're struggling or if you're not doing what you think you should be doing. And so, you know, really as parents, what you need to do is praise effort not the outcome, so that people can feel proud of themselves just for trying hard and doing their best and persisting. Um, And there's some other factors that I think we'll probably talk about later, but in childhood, those are the ones that tend to drive it. Yeah. So praising effort as opposed to outcome. So basically how hard they've worked at something, how much effort they've put into it, as opposed to whether they won or lost the thing. Exactly. Yeah. And that tends to give you a healthier attitude about working hard and trying things and, you know, doing different strategies. If you're struggling, um, you don't take it as personally. You kind of feel like there are other things that you can do to be able to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So Queen Group, have any of you dealt with the imposter syndrome? I'll be the first to speak up and say that I definitely have. I did not. I was not aware that it was what I was feeling, but I definitely felt it, especially at my last job. I felt like, although I had been coaching for 15 years, I was a player in the SEC. I played in the women's final four. I had coached at another SEC school. I never felt like I belonged there. I, you know, it didn't matter what, you know, I signed the number one guard in the country and I still felt like I wasn't deserving to be there. Uh, And it, triggered me the whole time that I was there. So I have definitely uh, experienced the imposter syndrome. I had people telling me, God, you're doing a great job. Like these are, you know, this is the best, you know, recruits we've gotten since Candace Parker. I was hearing all of those things, but inwardly, I didn't feel like 
I was worthy to be there. Like I just, you know, I wasn't. And so I've definitely felt it. Anybody else here want to share? I'll go. Um, I think for me personally, I, when you first told us about this topic, I had to really, really think over my life. Have I ever felt that way? And I, the more I thought about it, it was moments. It was never anything that was consistent or lasting. And I can think of conversations I've had with a couple of my girlfriends. But I think sometimes as you're moving through life, I have felt like I was a fraud um, at times. Like, you know, do when I when you when you're not good at receiving compliments and praise, mm-hmm. that sometimes I'm like, am I really that person? Um, am I living up to what? people's expectations are of me Mm -hmm. but I think for me the times that it did creep in is just during times when I was feeling really insecure in my life yeah um I think the earliest point that I could recall that I ever felt that way was in high school when I was in band and I um excelled at learning how to play an instrument in a very short period of time I've always been kind of a higher achiever and hard on myself. And then I would go to these band competitions we called honor band. And, you know, it was the highlight to be first chair and you get all these medals. And then I would go off to these competitions and um, I would chair and I would maybe be second chair or third chair. And there was always this one kid or that would always be in front of me. Predominantly, most of the time they were Asian American that were just absolutely amazing and I would be sitting next to them like do I deserve to be here this person is so much better at this than I am and so I felt inadequate and I and I think about through life there are times I've been in spaces where there's some been some phenomenal people in the room and I felt inadequate for a short period of time and then I you know do my thing and then I'm like you know what I'm supposed to be here yeah I belong Yeah, yeah I belong I know for me, you know, very much like Dr. Leslie said, when I was um, researching the topic on imposter syndrome, it made me do a lot of reflection because mm. I wanted to really uh, associate it with my life story. Yes. And as I started to think about my growing up and my siblings, myself, I didn't receive a lot of praise growing up. Mm-hmm. And I've had this conversation with Dr. Leslie and my parents. Yes. I didn't receive a lot of praise, like outward praise. My parents just expected me to do well. Mm -hmm. And as I got older, you know, and started to talk to my parents and talk to them about how they treated my sister or how they treated my brother and how they treated me differently. Both of my parents said, we didn't need to give you praise because you were just going to do it. Mm. But I also learned from my older siblings, like, yeah, I'm not, (laughs) let me go ahead and get that done. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Because I'm not going to do that. Right. right? So being the youngest, a little bit of that was me learning from them and not repeating some of the same cycles but what I need needed personally as an individual was the praise like Mm -hmm. even as I've gotten older and I've learned my love language like active um acts of service and words of of affirmation affirmation Mm -hmm. are two very high are very high on my love language and it comes from me needing to be affirmed so as I fast forward through my career and I think about the times that I've been sitting at the table and feeling inadequate in a room Mm -hmm. it comes from not really understanding was I selected because of my profile or was I selected because of the skill set that I had and and deserving to be there yeah and I've really had to push through that personally to get to a place of acceptance Mm -hmm. that the door that has been opened that you've walked through, you worked hard to get there. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've had to get there and say to myself, nope, this is a seat you belong to be in. Yeah. Now show up authentically, right? Yeah. But it is, it's a struggle for me personally, even currently today, yeah. um, feeling adequate and feeling like I belong. And I, I definitely believe through therapy, it has helped me tie that back to my childhood as well and kind of how I grew up. And my parents doing the best that they knew, right? It, it's not anything negative, but it has definitely had an impact on me and feeling inadequate and not feeling like I belong. Mm-hmm. And even with my most recent promotion, like as my friends kind of promoted me, I was like, oh, it's good. I'm cool. Yeah. Right? Not I actually really fully thought about embracing you. that mm-hmm. and accepting it. Um, and I, I struggle with that even today. Yeah. I thought about you just as I was uh, doing my research and writing the script for the show. I thought, hmm, I can't wait to hear what LaQuinta's got to say about the fact that she just got this promotion up another level. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts and your feelings? So thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Malika? 
Yeah, this is a, a kind of a tough topic for me because it's something that I've struggled with um, pretty much all my life. I wasn't able to put a label on it until a counselor actually pointed it out to mm-hmm. me, um, I want to say probably about two years ago. And he, he told me that, you know, I, I suffer chronically from imposter syndrome. Um, and it, it's something that I deal with um, today. Like LaQuinta said, I was um, the youngest child and there were a lot of, um, I don't know if I took on what I perceived as a child as responsibility, uh, but definitely the level to, uh, the expectation, I should say, to excel and exceed and succeed. Um, I somehow internalized that pressure and, and put, my, put on myself a level of expectation that I probably should not have. Um, I will say that I have found myself in a number of rooms with people that, um, in my mind, I often think, wow, how did I get here and why am I here? Mm -hmm. Um, Or I'm always in really unique situations. I find myself to kind of be at the front of the line. Um, And for me, often it has gone back to well, maybe it's because I've been someone's daughter. You know, I grew up the daughter of a, a politician. So in school, I struggle with constantly, well, I was afforded this opportunity because I was my father's daughter. And then I was someone's wife. And I have all these opportunities. And I started to struggle with, well, maybe I'm here because I'm so, so-and-so's wife. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm on my own, and I still continue to... Um, have, have a level of success, but it still was not real for me. I always felt like I was, I was in these positions because of the laurels or accolades of someone else. But I have now learned to walk in that space yeah. to appreciate every opportunity and to enjoy it and, and understand that it's my efforts, it's my hard work um, that, that's gotten me there. Yeah. Dr. Patricia, I want to hear your experience with uh, the imposter syndrome. Yeah, so I would say it's also something that I've struggled a lot with, too. I'm actually a youngest child as well. as I don't think there's research suggesting that that's more common. But um, I grew up also in a household where there are a lot of high expectations. Um, My parents are from Jamaica and Bermuda. And so, like, people with West Indian parents, there's this thing. I mean, I guess other families, too. But, like, you're supposed to do really well. And, you know, you get 98%. What happened to the other 2%? Or, you know, you come home with your grade in the last, what did other people get on the test, you know, to see how you compare? Mm -hmm. And so I think I always just grew up with that sense of comparing myself to others. And you know, the positive, I guess, is that it made me a high achiever. But the other downside is that it makes me feel like if I'm not the very best, is that good enough? Or, you know, if somebody comes up and asks me to do something like um, write for an article or do a keynote speech or something like that, my first reaction is always like me. Like, why are they asking me to do it? Like, really? Are you sure? Like that sort of a thing. And I've I've learned to push through it because I know what it is. But it's still that first impulse, like, what are they seeing in me that's making them want me to do that sort of thing? Um, And so I think, you know, once you have it, I think having the awareness of it is important so that you can push through and get yourself to the other side. But at least for me, um, I haven't yet been able to uh, not have that first initial twinge at the beginning of like, me, me, really? Like that sort of a thing. So I continue to, to work on it too. Yeah. I'd like to hear how we talk ourselves down in the moment and I'll go first. And if we can just go in the order that we went and how we, um, have managed it, because I have a question. It's so funny that, uh, you guys mentioned therapy because I have a question that's further down in here and I'm going to go ahead and just talk about it now. Like, How many black women are in therapy trying to cope and manage the imposter syndrome, not aware or aware that it's the root of their discontent? Mm -hmm. I want to talk about how we've managed it. And then we're going to talk about the therapy piece. And then we're going to just talk about black women in general. And is it more prevalent in us than it is in other races? So first question, how are we managing? Me, I did not manage well in Knoxville. I didn't. I didn't know how to manage it. I felt like the people that I worked with felt like I did not deserve to be there too. 
not only was I already dealing with imposter syndrome, being there and working overtime and working myself to death, literally leaving my kids days at a time during the week, being on the road trying to recruit to show that I deserved and I was worthy to be there. When I would come back, the people, not all, but some of the people that I worked with also treated me like, you don't deserve to be here. Like, you shouldn't have gotten this job. So it was, tr it was also triggering my imposter syndrome. So I didn't manage it well. And I was never probably my authentic, authentic self there. I was always trying to fit into the bubble that whatever would make them happy to make me seem like I was worthy to be there. And it literally, when the job ended, drove me to therapy. And I'm being very vulnerable here because I wanna save somebody out there who's working a job that people don't want you there. And you're killing yourself trying to prove your worth. It's not worth it. Move on. Be where you are appreciated and celebrated and not where you're tolerated. Because it took a lot out of me. And I missed key moments in my kid's life. I missed my daughter's debutante ball for an NCAA tournament game. A moment I'll never get back. And I'm probably going to cry about that. I actually just called my daughter about that yesterday and said, Kim, I'm sorry. And she was like, Mom, you still talking about that? And I was like, I never should have chose that over you. I never should have missed your coming out moment. I never, and I can't get that moment back. And that drives me crazy because I'm trying to prove to people who don't even see my worth or value me has me feeling a way about myself and I miss a key moment in my daughter's life. It's not worth it. If you're listening to me and you're in a place where you're trying to prove your value and your worth and that you belong, move on. Because there are people out there that will appreciate what you bring to the table that won't make you feel like you don't belong or that you're not worthy to be there and you can be for your family what they need you to be. I'd love to hear, Dr. Leslie, how you've managed it. I know you've mentioned that you could pull yourself out of it a lot, but I'd love to hear more about that. You know, as you were, were saying that, I have, um, when I was thinking of this entire situation, and I actually have, there's a quote that I, that I that's my favorite quote, actually, that I thought of. Um, when I thought of imposter syndrome and, and one of the things I think of the most is self-worth. Um, I think that's what I've struggled with, mm -hmm. whether it was professionally, um, you know, socially, personally in relationships, self-worth. And so one of the most impactful things ever said to me came from my oldest sister. And she, she said to me when I was in my twenties, and I know you've gotten emotional on I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. And she said, Leslie, and I was in the middle of a relationship. Or two, I was in a really b bad situation. And she said, you know, I just don't think you realize your self-worth, what you're really worth. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm -hmm. And, and to, this, to this day is like the most powerful words anyone's ever said to me. And I've, I felt like when I've been in situations where I wasn't worthy um, and I had that self-doubt, I would think about, I think about that. And I think about in my career, um, I've had um, people that saw that worth in me and told me, mm -hmm. and that's helped me. And I always reflect back to those things. And so the reason I wanted to say this quote is because it sticks, to, it sticks out in my mind when I think of imposter syndrome mm -hmm. um, and self-worth. And it says, surround yourself with the dreamers and the doers the believers and the thinkers, but most of all, surround yourself with those who see greatness within you, even when you don't see it in yourself by Edmund Lee. And I hold, I, I think about this quote. I read it all the time. I put it on my IG page and I think about those words and those words from my oldest sister. And that's how I pull myself through it. I know for me, I didn't really recognize kind of the imposter syndrome or really understand what it was until I was going through my divorce mm -hmm. and I started to seek <clears throat> counseling and it showed itself up even in my marriage. Like, um, there was just a disconnect between myself and my ex-husband, great person, just a disconnect between us being equally yoked. And I found myself repeating some of the same habits with him that I was with my father. 
doing things extremely well, high, mm. you know, making sure that I um, met expectations before something was asked of me. Um, if I thought he wanted it, I got it. You know, I was just trying to be perfect, mm -hmm. right, in everything that I did. And it wasn't until I went to therapy that my counselor shared with me that I was, um, I was suffering from imposter syndrome and that I was putting the weight of the world on my shoulders and it showed up even at work. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the way that I've pushed through that is understanding my triggers, understanding that when I'm starting to overcompensate to get someone's approval, I need to step back for a second and understand why is that driving me that mm -hmm. way? And then the other thing that I do professionally and even in my personal relationships, I think Dr. Leslie can say this is I ask for feedback. How am I doing as a friend? Yeah. How am I doing as a colleague? How did I show up in that meeting today? I love you know, that. And mm -hmm. I ask for the feedback because that helps ground me and helps me understand that I'm showing up the way that I intend to show up. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's just the way that I get through it. Also, I, I tell myself <laughs> through words of affirmation every day, you deserve to be here. Yeah. Just yeah. period in life, in your family, in your relationships, yeah. in your job, you deserve it. And then I start my day with that. Malika. Well, I didn't know we were going to need these napkins. Girl. So, <laughs> I, see, I was, I was I forward thinking. I thought this was a light subject. You, you brought this or <laughs> actually not. Touching up makeup and mouths. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say for me, uh, the tools that I've been given, and I feel like that has helped me be successful, is number one, being able to forgive myself. When I don't mm. achieve something, when I don't accomplish something, it's okay. Yeah. Um, and so definitely being able to be okay with not reaching a goal, as long as I, I, I can say to myself, I tried, I gave it 100%, it didn't work, that's fine, that's okay. The second thing is, I think, it, I, what, from what I've, uh, we've all said, I feel like it goes into um, this need for approval or being liked. Mm -hmm. And it's okay for everyone not to like you. And it's mm -hmm. okay <laughs> not to have approval. Uh, and that's something that I've struggled with. But I will say I've been working with an amazing therapist that's helped me get to a point to, to, to be okay with, with not being liked. And the last one is boundaries. Because when you don't forgive yourself and you're constantly trying to meet the expectations of others, then you don't have boundaries around your space, your mental health, your time, everything. And so I've learned to put boundaries around me, and that means saying no unapologetically sometimes. It means saying no without giving an explanation, um, and it just means protecting myself for me. Now, I'm definitely a giver. I'm definitely open, but in an effort to not allow this, this syndrome to have as much control of me in my life as it has. Those are some of the things that I've started to do, some of the tools that I was given, and, and I find it to be quite beneficial in managing how I, how I work and interact with others. Very good. Very good. Dr. Patricia? Uh, yeah, so I would say for me um, in the past, one way in which I handled it was probably just by shying away from certain opportunities. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I wouldn't feel exposed and I wouldn't be in a situation where I thought that I might not live up to the situation. Um, but there got to be a point where I just got tired of playing small mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, I'm a very spiritual person and, you know, really believe that God made me with all the unique talents and gifts that I have and that I'm here for a reason. Mm -hmm. And then, and then in some ways, if I'm not sharing those to the fullest extent, then I'm not living up to what I'm here for. And so I guess for me, it's really just getting used to the discomfort yeah. and pushing through it anyway, knowing that I can tolerate it and get to the other side. And the more that I push through that discomfort, the more I get used to it. And the more that I realize that I am here for a reason and that I can achieve a lot of different things. Um, and so that's been my thing. And then I also occasionally will write in a journal a lot of I am worthy statements. And I'll just fill a page with I am worthy. And then I fill in the blank. So mm. I am worthy of good things. I am worthy of being here. I'm worthy of success, like all those sorts of things. And usually by the time I get to the end of the page, um, I feel a lot better. Yeah, Dr. Patricia, it's so funny you mentioned that. Um, most recently, I found myself doing a lot of public speaking, 
interviews, mm-hmm. being videotaped, asked to be on panels, a lot of that. And it's come with kind of the new role. And before I get on camera, I write down, I am worthy. Mm-hmm. Your voice is supposed to be heard. And it takes away a little bit of the anxiety for me and the self-doubt of me sitting on a panel with people who have, in my opinion, way more experience than I do doing this thing that I do. Yeah. But it, it reaffirms me in that moment when nobody else's voice matters. And like Dr. Patricia said, I believe that it's God's voice speaking through me, allowing me to have that opportunity. And that's how I channel it. But I am struggling in this moment, in this space, yeah. like pushing through. And I find myself having to deal with it almost daily, daily. because mm-hmm. of what I'm asked to do, you know, professionally. We are in Atlanta, Georgia. I am with the Queen Group Atlanta, Dr. Patricia, LaQuinta, Dr. Leslie, and Malika. We'll be right back. Do you struggle with the imposter phenomenon? If you'd like your thoughts to work for you instead of against you, you can take control now. Sign up for Dr. Patricia Thompson's Executive Mindfulness course where you'll learn practical techniques that will help you to manage your emotions, get a handle on your self-sabotaging thoughts, and reduce your stress. Learn more at her website, silverliningpsychology.com, on the self-study page. Again, that's silverliningpsychology.com. Are you looking for help building a website? Does your current website not reflect your personality and brand? Then you need to contact Brady Mills. Web design, e-commerce, and online marketing are a breeze with Brady. Brady took over my website at a time when it lacked a little personality. He listened to my vision, and now my website fits my personality and my brand perfectly. Not only has Brady helped me, he's helped companies across the globe grow their online brand. You can learn more or schedule your free consultation at BradyMills.com. That's B-R-A-D-Y-M-I-L-L-S.com. Dr. Patricia, is um, the imposter syndrome, is it more prevalent in black women than than other races and and Sexes? Yeah, so it does tend to be more common in women than men, although there are a lot of men that experience it. And then it's more common in women of color in particular. And I think the reason is, you know, when you experience systemic oppression, or you're kind of indirectly or directly told your whole life that you're less than or undeserving of success, um, and you start to achieve success, that goes against kind of that longstanding narrative that maybe you grew up with. And so, you know, while I talked about the role that parents can play, um, society as a whole and the context in which we find ourselves can also make us more likely to experience it in some settings. And so, you know, I think also if you're in a situation where you haven't seen many examples of people who look like you Mm -hmm. um, achieving success, then again, you can also feel out of place and that can trigger some self-doubt. Um, and just stereotypes in general that I think we all internalize to some extent, even if we're actively working against them, um, can also cause people to have an underlying self-doubt. So, you know, that's why, you know, for a lot of women of color, we can struggle with it. Yeah. Do you do you think that some of that can be attributed to just the microaggressions in the workplace that we experience anyway, uh, taking into consideration all that you just said about, Uh, our upbringing, being told as black women, you know, where our place is and kind of feeling like we're at the bottom of the chain. And then as we are climbing these ladders to success, whatever that is for us, just the microaggressions that we experience along the way contribute to uh, the imposter syndrome and us feeling it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you think of microaggressions like, you know, you speak so well or oh, your success is so inspiring. Or, you know, I saw a black woman on Twitter recently, she was a professor who had someone coming up to her asking her to clean her room. And so I think all of those instances just reinforce that you don't belong. And what are you doing here? And so it can really trip away at people's confidence. Most definitely. Yeah. This question is for everybody, but I want to direct it toward LaQuinta first. 
And then I want to go to Dr. Leslie with it too. Do you guys, because you're in human resources, LaQuinta, mm-hmm. do you notice it from a standpoint of the type of jobs that we go after? Like, for example, someone comes to you and they're interested, interested in a job that is beneath them. Like they should be going for this job, but they'll go for the the job that seemingly is below what they should be shooting for just because they don't necessarily see it in themselves. Can you identify that just from a human resources standpoint? Absolutely, especially in women mostly, um, and I'll say in a general sense. Most women won't apply for a job unless they are absolutely positively sure they they check the box on every aspect of it. Mm. They won't apply. However, our white male counterparts will apply for a job even if they have the I in the it. And that's all they have <laughs> in their background. And I, 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 don't, I don't joke. But they will, apply, they will apply for the job or go after the job because they believe they have the right to be there. Mm-hmm. However, a lot of women um, typically won't apply or put their name out there or even raise their hand for a position because of that um, belief that I only want to go if I'm qualified. So then I, I think about... African-American men and women or black men and women in the corporate environment who are tapped on the shoulder or who get promoted into positions and doubt themselves being there. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that we have to wrap our arms around from an HR perspective with mentoring and coaching and development and ensuring that they have the resources behind them so that they feel like they have the capabilities to be supported. A lot of organizations don't take into consideration the impact of socioeconomics or race have on Mm -hmm. a person's matriculation from a career perspective. And that's why DEI is so important in a work environment because it takes those, those pieces into consideration and it's really moving the conversation away from just diversity, but to equity and equality in the workplace and development around that. So to answer your question, yes, I do see that showing up. Sharonna, just to speak to something LaQuinta said, I recall I was helping a friend out. It was a, a guy I was dating some years ago. Um, who was talking about how he just didn't like his job. He wanted to to um, look for something else. So I, I was helping him with his resume to apply for another job. And the way we put it together, the way I put it together, definitely spoke to his skills. Yes. Um, everything that he could do. But when I, I, it was probably the defining moment in that situation for us. When I gave it to him, he, he said, well, this makes me look better than what I am. Mm-hmm. And that just was confounding for me. And it's funny you say that, you know, we talk about, you know, women's, particularly African-American women, but it does seem to be an issue for some men, too. And yeah. it shows up. It and that, that's shows a, up. an example. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Dr. Leslie, you're in management training. Mm-hmm. You deal with a lot of different personalities. I'm sure you've ran across some really bright people that you realize you could be doing so much more than where you are right now. Do you notice that or do you see that from your vantage point? Um, In my current position, I would say, uh, no, not, not as much, not right now. I mean, being that I've only been in the position for a year and a half and majority of that has been during the pandemic. So it hasn't been as much movement. Um, as I think I would normally see, it's not as glaring mm-hmm. as you would think it would be. It would uh, definitely based on this conversation is probably something I would um, look for just to see if, if it exists more. I would say I see it more in maybe people I've mentored mm-hmm. um, to LaQuinta's point of having conversations with um, individuals that... Um, want to go after certain positions but feel like they haven't positioned themselves well to be even considered um and I think even for myself when LaQuinta was making the point of checking the boxes I'm sitting over here just nodding my head because I feel like in my current profession every promotion I went after I checked every box because I felt like there's no way they're going to deny me if I've done they asked me to do this they impossible yeah I did it and then I still get denied so it's kind of like what 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 is it why you know why didn't I get selected I mean honestly that was one of the reasons I got my doctorate it was to check a box to say you know what you're not going to be able to deny me that if I pull this out of my tool kit Mm -hmm. and say bam you know like 
no, there's no way I'm, I'm doing everything you've asked, but, um, it still shows up. So let's go back to the therapy piece because it was uh, a subject that we brought up a little earlier. How many of us in here have been in therapy? I know I have Dr. Leslie. I know you have Mm -hmm. Laquina. Absolutely. Malika. We all have gone to therapy Mm -hmm. and therapy. We could all admit uh, Dr. Patricia, have you ever gone to therapy as a therapist? Do you ha- do therapists have therapists? They suggest that you do, yeah, so that you have more empathy for clients. And I okay. mean, every everybody has their stuff, even if they're a psychologist. Amen. So. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Would we all, you know, nod yes that therapy has given us coping tools and tools to identify the triggers that make us feel uh, as imposters or frauds or uh, not worthy or invalid or whatever uh, our feelings may be. But let's speak to the the sister who doesn't have, you know, the ability to see a therapist, who doesn't have financially, she can't afford to go to therapy and get therapy uh, for these feelings. Like if, if she's listening to this conversation and she understands and identifies that, you know, oh, so this is what I've been feeling. That's, that's what it's called. It's the imposter syndrome. I, I can directly relate to what these women are talking about, but their insurance doesn't pay for therapy or um, they don't even have insurance on their jobs right now to get therapy. What are, what are ways that our sisters out here who have not had the opportunity to have a therapist or get therapy, what are ways that they can um, cope with this? Can you share some coping skills with them, Dr. Patricia? I think one thing that's really helpful is just recognizing that it's normal. And so, you know, we said 70% of the population has dealt with it at some point. All of us on this, you know, podcast have dealt with it. Mm -hmm. And so I think just even normalizing it can make you feel less alone, or maybe can prevent you from adding an additional layer of self-judgment on it, feeling like, you know, I shouldn't be feeling this way because it is very normal. Um, I think something else that can be really helpful is to try to catch yourself when you're doing it and talk to yourself like you would talk to someone who you care about. I love that. Um, Because so often we're so much harder on ourselves than we are to others. You know, if you were thinking about your daughter, for instance, how would you talk to her if she was having those kind of thoughts? How might you encourage her? So, I mean, I think those sorts of things are helpful. Um, I think also just learning to challenge your own thoughts, um, because a lot of times we will have our thoughts and feelings and we'll accept them as gospel truth just because mm-hmm. we feel a certain way. But I think if you can take a step back and start to look objectively at it, like what evidence is there that I don't belong here? What evidence is there that I do belong here? And, you know, I like to also just keep a list of wins that I can go back and look towards if I'm kind of doubting myself to look like, look at all this stuff that I've done. Like, who am I to say that everybody else is wrong in terms of thinking positively about me and I somehow know something that others don't know? Yeah. And so I think I think a lot of it just comes down to really challenging yourself and finding what works for you in terms of your own personal values. And so for me, like I said, spirituality is really important, kind of feeling like God did not make a mistake in putting here. God is giving me these opportunities. It's up to me to take them. For other people, you know, there might be a value of wanting to make a difference in the world and knowing that if they are kind of covering themselves up and hiding their light, they're not going to be able to make a difference. Um, But really just tapping into what's important to you and um, not always believing what you tell yourself. I think it's helpful as well. Is the imposter syndrome, because we've talked about it mostly in the workplace, but can you have, can you feel the imposter syndrome in your relationships? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, if you've ever had thoughts like he deserves better than me or I'm not good enough for him, um, you could have it in your relationship or if you're constantly comparing yourselves to other people or wondering, am I the right person for my partner or feeling like you're not a good match? then um, you might start to look for signs from them that you're not good enough for them and, um, you know, maybe overreact to things and in a sense almost start to reinforce that by becoming maybe more needy or more standoffish. And so, yeah, you can definitely um, experience it in relationships. 
Okay, queen group, talk to me. Tell me about your moments that you felt like an imposter in a relationship. So I, I struggled with thinking that I'm pretty and thinking that I'm attractive. And we all look at you and wonder why. What? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. But it is something that I've struggled with. And yeah. so it shows, it has shown up in my relationships. And instead of me um, wondering, is he good enough or am I good enough for him? I shrink. I shrink who I am mm-hmm. to be accepted. I don't always share my thought or a concept or an idea or a challenge or not even, I don't want to use the word challenge, but I'm not as communicative in my relationships as I am in my friendships because I shrink. Yes. Um, because it, it stems back to, LaQuinta, are you pretty enough? Are you shapely enough? Are you the girl that's going to keep his attention? You know, are you going to, meet and check all these boxes and as I mentioned before when I went through therapy for my divorce Mm -hmm. is when my therapist shared with me the imposter syndrome and how I was overcompensating in my relationship and under and holding him under accountable for his behavior Mm. in, in our relationship and not getting my needs met and through it and if it hadn't been for therapy that those three free sessions that I got through EAP, <laughs> I'm not joking, but yeah, if it hadn't been for I the initial three free sessions that I got through EAP, I don't know that I would have been able to identify and cope with it as much as I have been able to. Yeah. I, I'll say that. Um, so I, I feel like the, a lot of people, I come with like a, a perception, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's, it's people who know me know or know of me, um, see certain things about me. You can Google me. You can read certain things about me. And I, I often found myself when I'm really dating somebody I like that's super accomplished, thinking, you know, does he expect me to live up to this this certain standard or this certain expectation that, or does he does he have this perception or this thought? And there have been some people where I said, mm, no, I think he may be thinking this or he may be feeling this way so I'll take a pass so I've Mm -hmm. actually not dated some people Mm -hmm. because I felt like maybe their perception and what I feel like I bring don't align I'm I'm an imposter yeah so I'll take a pass on that and I often wonder as I think about some of my friends in their relationships if they perhaps maybe date down or dirt, don't date a certain type of guy mm-hmm. because they feel like I'm an imposter, so I don't deserve this type of guy. I'll date this type of guy. Yeah. If that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Dr. Leslie. So I've been over here thinking, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> Cube will probably nod her head at this, but um, the last relationship I was in, um, I dated younger. Um, and if you put us side to side, most people would be like, why is she dating him? Um, uh, from Malika's standpoint, probably dating down. And then I, since the relationship has been over and I looked at what it was and who he was, I do believe he was a narcissist and I'm sure you can relate to that. Um, and Check. so I thought about the whole time I was in the relationship I felt like I was a fraud in that I wasn't being my authentic self. Bingo. Because I would not, I was, I would, I was making myself small. Like I was trying not to rock the boat Mm -hmm. and it was his personality type that I had never dealt with before that I didn't, I didn't know how to deal with it. Yep. And so I felt like, not that I wasn't deserving. I just couldn't be myself. And mm. so when it was over, however it ended, which was not well, um, I felt this level of relief, even though I ended up in therapy over it. Um, there was this level of relief that I, I need to be true to me. Yes. And so ultimately looking back at it, I should have never even been in the relationship, but when I was in it, I, it was just, it was, mind bending how I had made myself small when I think of who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, that's exactly where I was going to go with my experiences of feeling like an imposter in a relationship is moments where I wasn't being me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't saying what I really wanted to say. Um, 
I held my opinions and my thoughts back. Uh, I didn't uphold my boundaries because I was trying to be what I thought this person wanted instead of being authentically who I am. And it took me a series of dating narcissists. Um, I've dated covert. I've dated overt. Uh, pray that you get an overt narcissist if you get one because a covert will will run you crazy. crazy. A covert because it takes a while to see who they are because they're covert. And they're very crafty at what they do. But for me, I feel like in this area, I don't, I haven't struggled as much as I have in the workplace or the accomplishment piece because I have learned through being in bad relationships that I'm going to be me. I've kind of, you know, had this thing, I don't even know what you call it with this particular guy. And he's a former NFL player. And when I first met him, I was at a place where professionally I wasn't really happy with where I was. So I wasn't my full self with him because I didn't feel worthy of him. As time has passed, he and I have stayed in touch over the years and we spend time together. And so now when we see each other, he's like, you're totally different than when I first met you. And I had to explain to him, yeah, but my self-esteem wasn't at the best at that time because I didn't feel worthy to be talking to him because I wasn't on some level that I thought that would make you know, a difference to him. Like she's not up here. And I'm like, I don't feel that way now. Like this is me and this is who I am. And I make sure that I enter every relationship in my life being authentically me when it comes to men. The piece of advice I give to young ladies is know that your life's journey is going to be an evolution of who you are and the things you were uncomfortable with in your 20s, you're going to settle into your 30s, you're going to grow in your 40s, and when you get to your 50s, you're going to be the whatever. You know what I mean? It's going to be who you are, and that also shows up in your relationship. So it's funny to hear you say that. It's mm -hmm. not funny to hear you say but it's interesting to hear you say how you've shown up at Sharana. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, that is probably one of the beautiful things about my 40s, my journey in my 40s is... Yeah settling into and loving who I am. And then you realize that while I'm over here worrying if I'm good enough, let me start asking him some questions to find out if he's good enough. Mm -hmm. That's what we yeah. really need to be focusing on. You know, I would be interested to hear what Generation Z has to say about that because they're on a whole oh, nother level when oh, it yeah. thinks of yeah. deserving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. They're, quite, they're quite different. Yeah, they feel like they it's, it's me, baby. It's all about me. Yeah. Yeah. You should be paying my bills and yeah. giving me this and giving, the, giving me that. I'm like, not all of them are that way, but I'm like, mm, a lot of y'all going to be hurt. Well, but it's, it's still a conversation, though, about being liked and accepted mm -hmm. at yeah. the end, at the bottom line. And I still feel like the younger you are, mm -hmm. the more important it is it to is. you to be liked and mm -hmm. accepted. True. Mm -hmm. And so that never changes. I do feel like as you grow older, the less you care about that. And I don't know what it is about turning 50. It's like a switch that comes on. But definitely for me, I don't give a damn. Like, <laughs> I really don't. Uh, we're down to last questions. I just have a couple left. Um, how do we strike a balance of knowing we're too good for a situation and feeling undeserving or not good enough? Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the most important things that helps me and I find helps others is if you just have a growth mindset in general, if you're just open to growing throughout your life, then I think that that will help you. You know, if you feel like you're too good in a situation, then you might feel like you're stagnant and you need a new challenge. But know that whenever you take on something new, there's going to be discomfort and there are going to be things to learn. But if you accept that that's just a necessary part of growth and getting better, that you're not always going to be perfect, I think that really helps. And I think, um, you know, a lot of us have a fear of failure. But I would challenge someone to find anyone successful who has never experienced failure. Mm. That is just a function of going for things. If you never fail, it means you never stretch yourself and you never push yourself outside your box. And is that really what you want? And so I think, um, you know, if you just can get your mind around the fact that perfection is not something that you can ever attain, and that if you want to fulfill your potential, you're going to have to stretch yourself. And that's going to mean that you're going to have to dust yourself off at times. I think that can be enough motivation to push yourself forward. 
and the self-compassion piece, you know, when you do feel yourself feeling undeserving, then kind of being your own cheerleader or getting really good friends who can be your cheerleader too. Very good. Well, ladies, this has been a great conversation. I have enjoyed having it with you guys. I feel like this is something that a lot of uh, sisters needed to hear. I think, Dr. Patricia, you've definitely given some great um, core coping skills for uh, not just the women who are listening, but for the queen group and myself as well. Um, So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back with these three things. Hey, queens and kings. I just want to remind you of the new schedule for season two. On Tuesdays, I'll be dropping a new episode of These Three Things Podcast. Wednesdays, I'll be going live on Instagram at These Three Things Podcast with Tuesday's guest. Thursdays, I'll be uploading video, some you've seen and some you haven't seen, on These Three Things Podcast YouTube channel. Make sure you follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Hey, this is Sharana Reeves, and we're back with Dr. Patricia and the Queen Group Atlanta, LaQuinta, Dr. Leslie, and Malika. And it's time for these three things. Number one, go big. Have you ever gotten a promotion and later thought to yourself, am I really as good as they think I am? Do you struggle with receiving compliments because the attention makes you feel something that maybe you don't see in yourself? Are you guilty of downplaying your accomplishments and achievements as luck? If you answered yes to one or all of these, then you felt the imposter phenomenon along with 70% of the population. And guess what that makes you? Normal. Dr. Patricia says that these thoughts and feelings are normal, but we can't allow those feelings to make us play ourselves small. Queen, you belong in high places. Your hard work deserves to be noticed. You are the best at what you do, and it's okay to let them know. Don't let your thoughts of doubt or fear sabotage your dreams. Go after that promotion. Open that business. Start that podcast. You weren't given this life to play small. You only live once. Go big. Number two, tools. When we identify that what we've been feeling is the imposter syndrome, How do we manage it in the moment? I'm glad you asked. In this episode, Dr. Patricia gave us a few tools to take with us to help us cope. One, remember what you're feeling is normal. Two, shut down the critical voice and talk to yourself as you would someone you care about. Three, Challenge if what you're thinking in the moment has any true validity. Four, recall your wins. Remind yourself of your history of doing great things. Having these feelings and thoughts are normal. Recognizing them is powerful. Managing them is key. Number Three, if we don't. As black women, society constantly tries to tell us that we don't matter. We all felt the blatant disregard for our lives when drywall seemed more valuable than our sister, Breonna Taylor. It's no wonder the imposter syndrome is more prevalent in us than anybody. We are constantly having to prove our worth and wisdom that it's easy to question or second guess if we are worthy or belong. And you know what else? Many times the imposter syndrome also affects us because of how we treat each other. 
if society constantly reminds us that we aren't valued and we don't value our relationships with each other, what are we teaching the generation of black girls behind us? How can black girls rock without support? How can we maintain black girl magic with no words of affirmation from black women? It's time to look deeper into the messages we are sending each other. We were collectively upset about how the system did Breonna Taylor, and rightfully so. Why are we not upset with the discontent that exists between us daily? Society will treat us differently when we do. How can we expect anyone to truly see our magic if we don't? That's it for this episode of These Three Things. I'll see you next week.